We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to a special edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and I am joined today over there by Claudette Montana Patterson. She is the publisher of All Trojans. That is the SI, uh, the USC site for SI. So uh, Claudette has blessed us with her presence today. We're going to yeah. talk about the, uh, sorry, Claudette, I have to do it, the Southern <laughs> Cal Trojans today. So, uh this is, uh, I got to admit, Claudette, you and I have talked about this off the air. Last year was a really strange year not having Notre Dame USC. And I am so glad to have that rivalry back this year. It is one of the best in all of sports, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's one that fans love, that players love, that coaches love. I think it was a huge bummer that that game wasn't able to be played last year. Um, I think it's something that everyone looks forward to. It's such a historic rivalry. So um, I think it's going to be exciting. Maybe I'll make my way down to South yes. Bend. As yes. Well. well, we've told you you've got an invite here. So you guys come on down. We'll, we'll, we'll make you a nice little dinner and uh, have all of our Notre Dame gear all over the house. So just so you know, yes. my wife's going to put the Notre Dame band, bandanas <laughs> on my dogs, all of it. So we'll be ready to rock and roll. I Let's talk it. about the Trojans, Claudette. Uh, it's it's kind of strange. We're going to we're going to talk some big picture stuff, but uh been kind of strange sort of the quietness around USC after they went five and one last year and we're going to dive mm-hmm. in a little bit about that but let's first kind of get caught up on camp USC's a little bit deeper into fall camp I believe than Notre Dame they're a day or two ahead of Notre Dame because Notre Dame starts their season a couple days later than most what's some of the latest news and notes and nuggets that uh, we that you've been able to gather here from uh, from Trojan camp So there's a lot going on. They're going to kick off their fifth practice today, which is great. Things are going well. They have a lot of new faces out there, a lot of freshmen. Probably one of the biggest topics of conversation right now is Corey Foreman, who is the number one recruit in the 2021 class. Um, Lots of questions, lots of speculation on if he's going to be able to make an immediate impact for the Trojans defense this fall. We talked to defensive coordinator Todd Orlando the other day. He said that he's everything that they thought he would be and more. He said that he's really dynamic. They really like what he's doing. But 
He also said that they've noticed a difference just in players that did enroll early last spring, uh, guys that came, you know, last spring and, and started getting immersed in the Trojan system. Just mentally, they've noticed a bit of a difference. So for guys like Corey Foreman, Rayshon Davis, another new addition, it's really of how how fast can they play catch up? You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and how fast can they get them prepared for their first game of the season on September 4th? Um, questions in terms of like if he will be a day one starter, those haven't really been addressed yet. And obviously they're only on their fifth practice of fall mm -hmm. camp. So I think it's a little early to start <laughs> talking about that. But Never too early to start talking about five stars. That's that's what uh, <laughs> that's what fans always will, will tell you. But I think that they, they're kind of saying as much as they can without giving away too much. They like how he's progressing. They like where he's at right now. Um, he talked to the media for the first time yesterday, which was exciting. Uh, did really well as well. They, they definitely have all those guys in media training like the second that they walk in there because they were pretty sharp. But he even admitted that the, the tempo and the speed going from high school to college has been different. He said that he thought he could train for it in the offseason and uh, really prepare himself for it. And he said it's just totally different. Uh, definitely a change for him, but he's adjusting well. So that's something that's kind of been one of the biggest topics of conversation uh, this fall. And then as I don't know if you saw Brew McCoy, that was big news as well. He was a wide receiver entering his third season with USC. He uh, got suspended from team activity, so he hasn't been out there all fall. Not a huge like deal breaker for USC's offense this year because mm -hmm. they have a lot of depth at wide receiver. But um, yeah, he was involved in a. I don't know exactly what happened. Obviously, they're keeping it under wraps, but he was suspended from the team for a legal incident, and so he's not out there as well. <laughs> and so I, I see that there's open with you guys about those things as Notre Dame is with us uh, about those things. So, and, and like you said, I mean, look, the Corey Foreman one is, is interesting because that was such an odd recruitment. You know, he committed to Clemson early and then yeah. opened things back up, and then USC's able to win at the end. And of course, USC fans have this this dream vision of Drake Jackson on one outside and Corey Foreman on the other side, or maybe he can slide inside in some certain looks and do some different things. So I, I certainly uh, understand the excitement there. And when you look at receiver, it's it's kind of interesting because there was a lot of well, I say hype around, about Brew McCoy, mm -hmm. but I just I, I didn't see a lot of that. You know, the the, the high ranking show up on film last year. You know, just a lot oh. of quick throws. It just didn't seem to me like a guy that was really going to move the needle. And when you've got Drake London coming back, and you've got KD Nixon arrived, correct? He transferred in. Mm -hmm. you know, you've got you've they've got guys. There's going to be players there uh, that that should be able to more than fill that void. Do you agree or disagree with that? I agree. And they had Amon Ross St. Brown last year, Tyler Vaughn's two guys that are now in the NFL that were veterans, had a lot of experience. Amon Ross St. Brown was probably their top receiving target last year. Him and Keaton Slovis had a great relationship. Mm -hmm. um, really consistent with one another, mm -hmm. but I was I would say probably the guy that's like the guy this year is Drake London. I mean, he's mm -hmm. like six five, over two hundred pounds. He's extremely athletic, dynamic. He has a huge build, um, good speed. You know what I mean? And um, mm -hmm. I think people are most excited to watch him this year. So I think if if it was the roles reversed, and sorry, I'm getting a Siri thing. Um, I think if the roles were reversed and Drake London was out of the equation, that would be a huge problem. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think, yeah, they have guys like you mentioned, Katie Nixon. They have Michael Jackson, the third, a freshman that just came in. He he actually enrolled early in the spring, um, played really well in the spring game. He showed some good moments. Um, 
they have a bunch of other guys. I'm just blanking on their names right now, but um, yeah, they'll be fine. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And you mentioned about Drake. I mean, even with Amon Ra and Tyler Vaughn's on the roster last year, it was Drake that became sort of the go-to guy, the big play guy. The, the you know He was on pace for over 1,100 yards last year. If you would have considered USC playing in the SEC title game plus a bowl game, he would have been over 1,100 yards last year. So he's certainly a good guy to build around. A player I wanted to ask you about too, Claudette, have you guys had a chance to see Keontae Ingram, the, the running back transfer from Texas? Have you guys had a chance to see him and how he's going to fit into sort of this offense? Because I – I, I've had people say, well, he's overrated. I'm like, he may be overrated as like a pure 25 carry game running back, but that's not what they're asking running backs to do at USC. And I think he really fits that offense exceptionally well because he can run it, but he's a really good pass catching weapon. Yeah. So also USC's running back room is definitely one that's probably changed the most. They lost Marquise Steph and Stephen Carr, two of their most veteran running backs this offseason. So they returned with Levi Malpei, who's, I believe, coming back for his fifth season. Um, he's looked really good as well. Graham Harrell said that he's virtually been perfect in all practices. And then Keontae Ingram is kind of that next guy up, it seems. Again, they, they won't release a depth chart until just the week before the, the first game on September 4th. But they really like what he's what he's doing, his speed, um, just how he fits in with their offense. USC, I mean, if you watch USC football, you know that they're not necessarily <laughs> – a run-heavy <laughs> offense. Yeah, nine, <laughs> 97.3 yards per game is not uh, – it, it's a long way away from RBU, which is what uh, USC Correct. certainly used to be. Yes. Well, they finished last in the Pac-12 for yeah. rushing offense last year. Have too. they addressed that? Like, is that kind of – is that fine for them? Do they, would they like to be a little bit more balanced? Have they addressed sort of – because – you know, again, this is a program we, we th- when you think of USC, you think of OJ Simpson before, mm-hmm. you know, the, the good OJ Simpson, you know, Marcus Allen, Charles Davis, Char- you know, I mean, you think of all these great running Reggie backs. Bush. Reggie, yeah, he was decent. <laughs> Lendell White, he was pretty Don't good. Don't forget about right? him. Yeah. You know, there's all these, I mean, just the, all the, even recently, Ronald Jones, you know, was a, mm-hmm. was a higher pick. And yeah. then all of a sudden, bam, 97 yards a game. And it's it, so, so, you know, I, I guess. Have they? Did they talk about that at all, or are they perfectly fine with kind of how that how that's played out so far? No, I think that's always uh, an area of their offense that they want to address and they want to get better at. And you'll even see, like last season, it looked like their receivers were just getting exhausted by the end of the game because they were picking up most of the slack mm-hmm. last season. And um, I definitely think it's an area that they they continuously want to work on and um, develop. And I think that's also why you saw two of their veteran guys leave. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they went to Nebraska and oh gosh, where did Indiana? Yeah, Mark, Marky Step went to Nebraska, and then Steve Stephen Carr went to uh, to Indiana. Yeah, and it's hard too because you know last season it was kind of a a, a trade off between the Van Alpei, Marky Step, and Stephen Carr, and the running backs in general weren't getting that much touches. But then you divide that up in between three guys, um, it was pretty limited. So. I think this year they're trying to move to really have just two guys instead of three. Uh, we'll see if everyone can stay healthy because that was also a problem last year. But um, yeah, it's definitely something that they talk about that they address. And you know, they brought in a new offensive line coach, Clint McGuire, so they're hoping that will help as well. Um, but definitely something that they are trying to improve on for sure. So, so let's dive into expectations for USC Claudette this year. I, it, it's kind of interesting. You look at USC. I've seen them anywhere from you know they're 14 in the in the coaches poll, and then I've seen them as low as 22nd in. I've got the uh, Lindy Sports right here. They're kind of in that 15 to 20 range by most. And there's I've heard people say, well, that's too high for USC. You and I were talking about that before the show. And is it me or are people just kind of dismissing the fact that USC went five and one last year and had some pretty good wins and. And has a you know yeah they have some losses but so does everybody else I mean what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on on where USC is ranked and do you think that this is a USC team that can finally get this program back on track to at least trending in the right direction? Yeah, I mean I, I think they're definitely trending in the right direction. I think finishing with a top 10 2021 recruiting class, landing a couple of the top players in the nation for sure helps. They lost obviously Elijah Tucker, their top left tackle last season. They lost Alvin Ross St. Brown. They lost Talano Bufanga. So they lost some key pieces, but they also return with like Keaton Slovis, Drake London, some, um, some guys that have been around for a little while. Um, I think the problem, you know, with, with USC is that the expectation and the standard is just so high. We were at Pac-12 Media Days a couple weeks ago, and there was a reporter who asked Clay Helton, you know, how do you feel that you haven't necessarily had a good season in the past couple of years? This guy had a lot of balls asking me. <laughs> I loved his <laughs> I response. Like, yeah, I was like sitting, standing right to the right of him, like, oh my God, you know. But, um, like, yeah, you, you know, was, we went five and one and played for exactly. the championship last year, right? Like, yeah, exactly. And Clay Helton's response, yeah, he's, he's a really nice guy, yeah. uh, always responds with grace. And he just said, you know, I love that question because you can go five and one, make it to the back 12 championship, and it's still a failed season. And um, I think the standard at USC is unless you're you know, competing for the national title, it's a total bust. And I think that let's, let's also remember that that's extremely hard to do. It's extremely mm-hmm. hard to get into the college football playoff. Now, that doesn't mean that's not where they should be. They 100 mm-hmm. percent should be there. But also going five and one, uh, only losing one game at the end of the year in the Pac-12 championship. That's not a bad season in right. my book. It's a step in the right direction for USC. I mean, Correct. at some point in time, I mean, look, you had the the Darnold year, and then it was kind of down. And I mean, you have to you have to eventually kind of have that turnaround season. You know, Notre Dame's was that ten and three campaign in two thousand seventeen. Now they've been even better since then from a win loss standpoint. But you need that one season to kind of restore confidence in your players and your program and your coaches. And and I just kind of find it interesting. USC is battling a lot of what Notre Dame is dealing with from a perception standpoint. Is everybody's focusing on the the 
very important players they lost, but just ignoring all the guys that are coming back. I've I've heard everyone talk about how Elijah Vera Tucker's gone, but nobody talks about they have four starting offensive linemen and their quarterback and their best receiver and their top running back back and eight starters back off their defense. Right. So I have found that kind of interesting that it's just kind of like they just dismissed because the Pac-12 only played the Pac-12 last year. So it's, it's like as if some people forgot that they even played last year, which I, I, I kind of understand the way that the Pac-12 handled their offseason, if, if we're being honest about that. Yeah, and I think it'll be telling, too. You're going to play Notre Dame. You're going to play BYU this year, um, you know, talented teams. Their their schedule last season, I would say, was favorable. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. play. They played Arizona State. Um, you know, the UCLA game was close. They played Oregon, obviously. A really beyond, nice, convincing road win at Utah, too, last year, too, which I yeah. which a lot of people aren't talking about. Right, yeah. But, you know, they played Arizona, which mm-hmm. I don't think won a game last year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be very telling to see also how they do against their non-conference opponents this year. When you look at the schedule for USC, too, I do I do think it's challenging enough that they're going to be able to gain some respect. As you mentioned, they played Notre Dame on the road. If you're talking mm-hmm. about building a, a playoff resume, that's a pretty big one. Cincinnati's talking about that. Wisconsin. There's a lot of teams talking about Notre Dame is going to build their playoff resume this year. Uh, then you look at the fact that, like you said, they have BYU's coming off of a, you know, a, a season in which they had a great record. I, I think it's a little bit of a sketchy record, but you've got Utah at home, mm-hmm. uh, you've got Stanford at home. Your road games are Washington State, Colorado, Arizona State, and Cal. Other than Arizona State, you know, those other teams are certainly beatable teams. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's no Washington and there's no Oregon in the regular Watch season. Out. Right. So, (laughs) yeah. So you get, you get Notre Dame, you get some good wins. You're allowed to kind of build your resume to get to the Pac-12 title. Then you can get one of those teams in the Pac-12 title game. So I think there's certainly an opportunity for USC to be uh, a little better maybe, or, or at least, at least as good as people are predicting them to be. I actually have them winning the South this year. I'm not nearly as high on Arizona state as other people are, especially with all the well, they just had to put their, right now. Yeah, and they had to put what their second full-time coach on administrative leave because of all the stuff going on and uh, former USC safety Chris Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. I mean USC did beat Arizona State last year, right? I mean we, we it's like yes, everyone we'll has get into it. that later. Arizona, yeah, Arizona State's kind of this hot program, and I'm I, whatever. I don't. I I often get frustrated when we start talking about preseason rankings, and so I'm going to start projecting some of my frustration about about people how people view Notre Dame this year as well, but. This is a big year for for USC, you know, and, and especially to me, it's an even bigger year for Clay Helton. Mm-hmm. I, I got to ask you this: How hot, or is his seat hot? I guess I shouldn't ask too a leading question. Is he on the hot seat? If he is, how hot it is is it? And what does he have to do this year to kind of silence a lot of that? Or is it is it just if he, anything short of a title, they're just never going to accept him as as you know a guy that they can build the program around or support fully? Support fully, I guess is a better way of putting it. This is a question that uh, I get asked all the time, and USC fans <laughs> um, are not happy with you know the way that things have been going because I think that they remember the Pete Carroll days, the Reggie Bush days when they were back-to-back national championship winners, and they want to get back to that place. For me, you know, if you're just looking at last season, how do you fire a coach that went five and one and made it to the Pac-12 championship? Mm-hmm. Like, what grounds do you have to say, oh, that wasn't good enough? Like, you're out. You know what I mean? So I do think that every year he's in the hot seat. I think anytime you're at a, a, a branded program like USC, Oregon, Notre Dame, Clemson, Alabama, I mean, Nick Saban will probably be there for the rest of his life. <laughs> but 
I think that your job's always going to be in jeopardy. I don't think right. you're ever safe. You know what I mean? Um, I think that the expectations are high. The standard is high for this season. I think that if they win most of their games, he'll probably stay another year. If they tank, yeah, they might fire him. You know, um, he's been there for a long time. Yeah. So he's familiar. He's friendly with the athletic director, the, the personnel, the staff at USC. They they like him, you know, but he also needs to produce results. Yeah. Yeah. And, and getting a top 10 recruiting class last year certainly helped. I think that at least gives him a little bit of momentum. But do you feel like a Rose Bowl berth this year is is something that could kind of silence a lot? I mean, there's obviously, as you know, like Brian Kelly's got that. If, if Brian Kelly is short, anything short of the national championship, Brian Kelly's a failure. I think there needs to be some sort of we have to have a, a rational conversation of the expectation needs to be championships, but also we can appreciate, you know, getting them to a certain point to the where they're closer than they have been in a while. Certainly USC's won a title more recently than Notre Dame. But do you feel like a Rose Bowl berth is kind of the thing he needs to do this year to kind of silence a lot of those a lot of those doubters? Yeah, I mean they need something. You know what I mean? I mean last year they didn't even play in a bowl game because right. what was the point? And Keaton Slovis got hurt at the end of the season and the whole season was just like a mess between all the COVID stuff anyways. Um, and they lost the Pac-12 championship. I think I mean, they're predicted to be back in the Pac-12 mm -hmm. championship game this year against Oregon. I think they need to win that game. And I think if they do get to that point and it is Oregon again, they're going to be hungrier than ever, you mm -hmm. know, wanting to win that game because they lost it last year on their home turf. And um, weren't even yeah, supposed to play Oregon at first. That's the other thing well, that people like they're sitting there thinking they're going to play Washington. And all of a sudden, Oh, Washington can't play. So now you get to play right. Oregon. So it was such a strange, strange year in the Pac-12. It, it, it re yeah. really was just an odd year. And if I remember correctly, you know, we, we were on Zoom press conferences almost every single day with Clay Helton and the defense coordinators, offense coordinator, position coaches. And they were kind of emphasizing they didn't know who they were going to play, if it was going to be Washington or Oregon, because there was so much uncertainty leading up to that game that they were preparing for both teams. And, you know, they're not how, really how, similar. How challenging is that? <laughs> Those offenses are not remotely similar. And that's the exactly. other thing. It's not like, you know, you've got Oregon and, you know, two, I don't know, UCL. Pick a program that maybe is similar in style of play. Washington and UCL and Oregon are not similar. So, yeah, that was a, that was a strange. Just the whole thing about that was just – it's almost like you kind of punished USC for winning the South. You know, exactly. <laughs> instead of just – forfeiting the game or whatever, just giving USC the win that just kind of give them this random opponent. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a bit odd. I did want to ask you before we kind of dive into uh, a couple of questions. I think this is a, 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 something we're going to learn a lot about USC this year is you're now going into year two of Todd Orlando. Mm -hmm. I think that's the side of the ball that is going to have the biggest impact on whether or not USC can win a Pac-12 title this year. I think their offense is going to score. They're going to throw the ball around. They're going to put up points. But can they make stops? I think that's an underrated part of how, of where I think Oregon is getting better in that regards. That's what's been really the fuel behind Washington's success and was clearly a big part of USC success in the past. Obviously, Reggie Bush and Matt Leinert and Carson Palmer and all those guys, mm -hmm. Mike Williams, all those guys get a lot of the love. But USC had some really good defenses back then, too. That's where they got to get back to. What what have you all seen or heard about the, the improvements that they hope to make this year now that they've got a full year? And – they, they didn't have an offseason with Todd Orlando last year. No. There was no spring. There was no, you know, so they were thought they're going to cancel. So there's a lot of missed opportunities. What are, what are the vibe around now going into year two and getting a full offseason in Todd Orlando's defense? Well, I think that was one thing too, that people weren't really thinking about is that he came in right when this whole COVID thing started kind of get going. And 
from what I recall from hearing from him on press conferences, they basically installed a majority of their defense over Zoom. They, they didn't have a spring, they didn't have a fall camp because they got like thrusted right into it, uh, you know, late into the season. And so that made things really difficult and challenging. And there were also some times where guys would get COVID. They didn't necessarily name specifics, but they would be without a couple of guys practicing, um, which makes it really challenging to start to get cohesive as a defensive unit when you're missing guys, when you're installing defensive schemes over Zoom. You know what I mean? Mm. So I think that they're going to return this season. They had an entire spring camp with them. They had the summer workouts and a couple, um, you know, practices. And then they, they've been kicking it off in the fall as well. So I think that I would expect them to be significantly better than they were last season. They weren't bad. They did have like some great moments last season. They lost Talno Hufunga, um, obviously was a huge member of their secondary but they have some new guys that they're bringing in and, and some other guys that will step up as well. So um, I, I think they'll be fine this year, honestly. Not, mm -hmm. That's not an area of concern necessarily. Uh, one area of concern, I guess, on their defense is really their defensive line because their depth there is just a little bit shaky right now. Clay mm -hmm. Helton said a few days ago that he, he was asking for prayers from all the reporters <laughs> throughout the season to keep their defensive line healthy just because there's some injuries a little bit. And um, Brandon Pile, he, I mm -hmm. believe, tore his Achilles during the spring, so he's out. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, then they had the freshman, uh, I don't know how to say his name, but the freshman nose tackle they had that they were thinking was going to start at nose tackle ends up transferring, you know, what, during the summer, right? So, Jay yeah, Tufella, correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's been a, it's been a, that's the one area, as you said. So let's actually dive into that, Claudette. So we're going to, we're going to kind of talk about if USC wins the Pac-12, what are the, what do you think it'll be reasons why? And if they don't, so let's, can you, since you already kind of went there, let's, let's kind of go reverse order of what we discuss and talk about. If USC fails to live up to expectations this year, it's going to be because of why. What are the factors they're going to go into? What are the concerns that they have that would keep them from living? I mean, beyond like the obvious, okay, they lose nine starters to injury and right. just just the, the things you look at and say, okay, these are the parts that have to get better. And if they don't, it could be problematic. You just talked about the defensive line uh, from a depth standpoint and then the interior of the defensive line. What are some other things that you point to to say, hey, these are these are some concerning areas that they're going to have to address. Yeah, so that that was that's obviously a big one, and it's it's obviously not just one or two things; it's just a bunch of things. Um, but their offensive line, I would say, is a point of that's been really criticized over the past couple of years. And I think if they aren't able to get that going this year, that's going to be a huge problem. They're still looking for that left tackle replacement for Elijah Garrett Tucker right now. They're liking Cortland Ford. They're liking Jonah Monheim. Um, two guys that have been there for a little while. So, um, you know, they brought in a new offensive line coach, Clay McGuire. But really, if they can work together and just perform at a really high level this year, I think that's going to be huge, not only for the run game, but also for Keaton Slovis. He didn't get sacked that much last year, but there was definitely a decent amount of pressure that you saw him under last season. So I think that will be uh, super helpful. I would say um, – also, just the running game. I know that we talked about that earlier, but that's that's always a question, and they're, they're going to try to pick that up this season, and I think that will really help. You look at teams just across the board in the NCAA that have a really balanced offense with you know their pass game and their run game. They're usually more successful. <laughs> a team that finishes last in the Pac-12 for a you know, rushing offense, so I think that's going to be 
something that they're going to try to improve on this year and pick up significantly. And another area I would also say is working on their third down conversions. Keaton Slovis last year also threw four of his seven interceptions during third down conversion situations. And that wasn't a, a super strength of USC last season. So again, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of things, you know what I mean? We could go mm -hmm. into like, mm -hmm. uh, break everything down. But I would say those are just a couple of things that stick out to me. And then of course the defense as well. The third down thing you you mentioned, what I thought was fascinating, because when you look at USC, it th their overall ranking wasn't terrible. They ranked 39th, mm -hmm. right? But they played so few games that one really good game was going to jump up their ranking, which is exactly what happened. They went 11 of 18 against UCLA and then 6 of 11 against Washington State, which are two very good games. But they were mm -hmm. below 40% on their other four games. And as you mentioned, had a very high turnover rate on third mm -hmm. down. So the numbers are a little misleading. And to mm -hmm. your point is, yes, you had you, you when you only play half your games, you can have one good game out of five or six that then kind of jumps up your ranking. And that's what we saw last year. But, you know, that hurt him against you at your Oregon. It went five of 15 in the pack. Well, you lost by touchdown, C convert a couple of those third downs. And all of a sudden, you know, you might be in a little bit of a different situation. And so uh, that that'll be an interesting part. Now, let's kind of flip the script a little bit, Claudette. If USC reaches or surpasses expectations, the, the driving factors behind that will be what? So one thing that really stuck out to me last year was just their offense not being able to get things going right off the bat in the first quarter, even really the first half. You saw against Arizona State, UCLA, that they, they basically left it down to like the last final, I want to say seconds, wasn't even a minute uh, in the fourth quarter and then they eventually won the game. But it was like a miraculous fourth-quarter victory, and they started calling them the comeback kids. And I think what you saw during the Oregon game, one of the things was that their luck just kind of ran out. Now, I do think there is something to be said about you know being able to stay composed and calm when it does come to those down-to-the-wire moments in the fourth quarter. You know, It takes a very composed quarterback to be able to really command an offense and, and make those plays happen. But... I think that when you're when you have a team like Notre Dame on your roster that's so good, you you have to start off from the get go with momentum, and that was a problem for sure last season. Yeah. Well, um, we, I, think, we, I was oh, just saying we've, we've seen that. You you pointed to about, about Notre Dame. We've seen that in some recent games. USC started off really well in 2018, and it was mm -hmm. a battle. I mean, it was even though USC was five and seven and Notre Dame was twelve and zero, it was a competitive game for four quarters. Yet in 2019 and 2017, USC starts off horribly. Notre Dame starts off hot, and they just ran them off the field in 2017. And then USC just didn't have enough time to make that comeback in 2019 because they were so far mm -hmm. behind. So to your point, you can do that with inferior opponents. You can do that against Arizona and UCLA, but that's what's kind of hurt them is you do that against Oregon, you do that against Notre Dame, you do that against Ohio State, and you're just not going to be able to, to, to make up that ground, and you're going to lose those games. And so you're right that early getting off to a faster start, getting into a quicker rhythm. And I think a lot of that's going to be about Keaton Slovis mm -hmm. kind of playing to the level that people have been thinking he would for the last couple of years is going to be a big part of that. He's going to have to start off better in games too. And I think that's been a little bit of an issue as well. I don't know if you agree with that, but what are some other things that, that you think are going to drive USC success this year? If we have it. Well, if you said led me right into my second point, which is Keaton Slovis. Um, you know, I think he knows that the expectations and the bar is high for this season. He's already started making 2022 NFL draft noise. He's even being thrown in as like a top three pick, which I think is a little high just for where we're at right now. But he's, you know, he's definitely in the topic of conversation there. Also with Heisman candidacy, 
uh, topic of conversation there. He wants he wants to have a good season. No one wants to be known as the guy that had the sophomore slump, quote unquote, as people are saying from last season after he got a great freshman campaign. So I think, you know, from what we've been hearing from him, he's really been working on his accuracy, his arm strength, this offseason. He's been working with some coaches just outside of USC as well, some quarterback coaches. Um, and he looks he's looked strong at camp thus far. I think the biggest thing also is if Brew McCoy isn't coming back, it's like who's that next guy up and how fast can they establish a relationship? Because him and Drake London have a solid relationship um, already and really accurate between the two of them, but who's that next guy up and can they establish a quick relationship ahead, you know, before September 4th. Um, but I think just how he performs this year, you know, can he be accurate? Can he stop making those small mistakes that he was making last season? That's going to be huge for them this season for sure. Have you had a chance to kind of make your season prediction yet for the Trojans? Still kind of thinking through it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I think that they'll they have a solid chance of ending up back in the Pac-12 title game, 100%. I think their schedule is favorable. Um, I don't know exactly how many games they're going to win or lose, and I think it's also a little bit of a wild card. Like last year, this they when they played Arizona, the score was way too close mm-hmm. for a team that didn't win one game last year. <laughs> so. It's like, I mean, everyone was expecting them to go down to Tucson and blow them out of the water. And I'm watching the game, obviously covering it. Like, how the heck is this happening? And I think, so I just think with that, it makes it hard to say, yeah, they're going to for sure, you know, win 10 other games or something like that. But I do expect them to be back in the top of the South Division of the Pac-12 and also to at least be in competition or contention for the Pac-12 title game. I have them going nine and three and winning the South is where I have them right now. So I'm yeah. losing two okay. conference games and then one non-conference game to Notre Dame. So, uh, but I was yeah. going to ask you about that. I mean, look, if you just look at the where, where the series has gone recently, you know, South Bend has not been a great place for USC in the last few years. Uh, I think the last time they won was 2011 is the yeah. last time they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. And Notre Dame hasn't lost a game in South Bend since 2017. So, uh, you know, I think it'd be a little bit of a, maybe a different game. If I, that was the game I was nervous about last year was going out to LA at the end of the year. Cause I expected USC to be a pretty decent team last year, but no, I, I, and I don't think USC matches up really well with Notre Dame too. I think, and that's a big part of it as well as I, I just think the, the two things you mentioned were, were concerns up front in the trenches. I, th- I think those are going to be, especially on Notre Dame's defense is going to be a strength for them this year. And and so that's kind of how I look at that. But that, I I you have Notre Dame winning that game. I have Notre Dame going eleven and one this year. I don't see USC being that loss. But I, I think it'll. I think it's a. I'm more worried about USC than I am about North Carolina, for example. There's all this hype about North Carolina, and I'm like, we're hyping up North Carolina, who's eight and four, who went eight and four last year, lost to Virginia, mm-hmm. got spanked at home by Notre Dame. They lost two thousand yard running backs and a thousand yard receiver, and everybody's like, oh, they're a top ten team. I, I just. I don't get it. USC goes five and one. They've got 16 starters coming back and it's like, ah, you know, they're, they're, you know, what Notre Dame is going to fall. Some of these preseason rankings are very frustrating to me as, as people who listen to my podcast every day know that, but I, I have USC going nine and three, winning the South and playing Oregon for the PAC 12 title. So yeah, sounds about right. I would say, yeah, Oregon, Washington. Yeah. And I'm not as high on Washington this year as, as some other people are either. I think, I think Oregon's going to win the, the North pretty 
pretty comfortably. I'm not a huge John Donovan fan. That's the offensive coordinator at Washington. I think that's going to be their downfall this year. So, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, so let's kind of let's wrap up with this, Claudette. And I appreciate you joining the show today to talk a little bit about the Trojans. But this is something that's kind of been interesting. That's been a topic of conversation with me and some of my friends and some of my college football friends, who even some who aren't necessarily aren't aren't. Uh, Notre Dame or USC fans, but it's we got a taste of what it's like with Notre Dame and USC not playing each other last year. Mm-hmm. And what's the vibe? I know what Notre Dame fans think. I hate USC. Do you want to stop playing them? No, I never want to stop playing it because it's the it's you hate them because they're your rival. Like that's you, mm-hmm. you want that rival. It's a unique thing. Vast majority of Notre Dame fans, that's not a game they want to lose. What's the vibe about from the USC side of things? Is that a rivalry that that USC fans want back? Is it a a rivalry they value? And then the bigger part is, if we do see what everyone's predicting, which is this super conference thing, Mm -hmm. is that something where USC values this rivalry enough to say, hey, we're going to make sure that this rivalry continues no matter what happens with the landscape of college football? I think USC is one school that really values tradition. I mean, if you look at their jerseys, they don't put the last names on the back of the jerseys. That's a tradition. They have their pregame traditions that they've been doing for years. I think that's one of the things that makes USC so special. And I think that's one of the things that draws fans in. And so another thing that's a tradition, of course, is the Notre Dame-USC game. And just from what I've heard from players, from coaches, that's a game that they want to continue to honor. You know, for a lot of players, that's their favorite game of the year. They, Even though they say the fans are brutal, you know, mm-hmm. at Notre Dame, they love going and having that rivalry that's just historic and it's something that's been played for so many years. Um, and I think there's something to value about tradition as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. It is in an era where tradition is becoming less – uh, of a thing that people in the media, the national media and the the national landscape, they really just seem not to care about that. It is good mm-hmm. to hear that there still are programs that value that. And like you said, Notre Dame and USC, two of the few teams in the country that don't put names on the back of their jersey because that's just the tradition. It's not one that I necessarily care much about, but it just speaks volumes that it is something that they do put value on. Because if you think of any program that you think would want to put the names on the jerseys, you'd think it'd be USC, but you know, from a tradition standpoint, they just have never done it. So I certainly, certainly appreciate that. So it's good to know that the Trojan fans want to keep this rivalry going because Notre Dame fans certainly do. So mm-hmm. um, Claudette, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today and talk a little about USC. We'll get you back on here uh, leading up to, was it going to be the second weekend of October? I'm trying to remember when that game is going to be. Let's see here. It is the third weekend, the third week of October. So we'll get you back that week. I keep forgetting Notre Dame has a bye before they play USC. Uh, So we'll get you back then. And USC also has a bye before they play Notre Dame. So they'll both be off the week before. So we'll have plenty to talk about that week leading up to the game. But again, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll talk to you all again very soon. If you all are not from Claudette, you can obviously see her Twitter handle there. And her website is uh, All Trojans. So it's a part of the SI Fan Nation Network. Check it out. Obviously, lots of intel about what USC is doing, lots of practice updates, things like that. And, and of course, lots of videos about where USC is at. So thank you so much, Claudette, for joining us today. Thanks so much, Brian. Really appreciate it.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.